Hey everyone, welcome to a special episode of Operations Avenue for National Hazing Prevention Week. Um, this week we are some guest hosts. Um, my name is Alec Moran and I have Liz Vickers with me here today. Um, we are associate directors here at the Heritage Center. We're just going to do a little bit about ourselves um, and then we'll jump on in. So my name's again Alec Moran. Um, I'm the associate director of student services. I graduated from Loyola Marymount University in 2016 and was a part of the Psi Epsilon chapter of AKSI. Um, so my job as Associate Director of Student Services covers everything from helping um, chapters with finances to also working on our bigger initiatives like Bridge to Brotherhood and um, the Chapter Success Plan that you guys um, filled out over the summer and um, are hopefully using right now. So if you have any questions on that stuff, definitely reach out to your resource coordinator, but I can also be a resource for you. So I'm going to pass it over to Liz. Hi. Thanks, uh, Alec. It's (laughs) not Liz. I'm Liz. Thanks, Alec. I'm excited to be here today. This is a really exciting podcast. Um, So thanks for listening. Uh, Again, as Alec said, I'm Liz. I'm an associate director of risk reduction for the Heritage Center. So my primary role is to Uh, work with the Judiciary Committee as a staff liaison, and then I also work on our risk reduction strategy. I'm a 2014 graduate of Stetson University, and I initiated a Alpha Kappa Psi's Theta Mu chapter in 2011. Uh, I'm also a member of a social Greek organization, Zeta Tau Alpha Fraternity, so I picked up a lot of things for risk reduction, not only um, from Alpha Kappa Psi during my collegiate career, but also in Zeta. So glad to be here. Thanks. Um, A couple plugs that we're going to have for National Hazing Prevention Week. Um, If you're following along on our social media, we have some hashtags that we're utilizing this year. Uh, One of them is NHPW19. That stands for National Hazing Prevention Week. Uh, We also have AKSI Against Hazing and PBL Don't Haze. So that stands for Principal Business Leaders Don't Haze. So if you're following along again on social media, go ahead and tag us in your pictures if you're doing a campus campaign um, or you know, wanna participate in these hands don't haze, go ahead and, and tag us there. Uh, also, you can see more resources on our website at www.akpsi.org forward slash NHPW, again, for National Hazing Prevention Week. And join us on Instagram for some fun, interactive stories that we're going to be doing. So um, now for the purpose and goal of this podcast, there's some things that we really want you to be able to get out of once you're uh, out of this podcast, once you're done listening to it. So we want you to be able to understand what hazing is. We're going to debunk some of the myths of hazing. And we're going to talk about recognizing hazing and learning some safe ways to confront and intervene when you witness hazing. And for the purpose of this podcast, I want you to think about this quote as we talk about the various topics. Maybe we're going to talk about some psychology of hazing, but I really want you to let this quote guide your thoughts for this podcast. And it is, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. And I'll repeat it again because I love it so much. The standard you walk past is the standard you accept. And that was a a famous quote that was spoken by Lieutenant General David Morrison of the Australian Army. And if you uh, are interested in where that came from or why I would be quoting a Lieutenant General from the Australian Army, I highly recommend you Google him. You check out why he 
even said that statement to begin with. Um, and again, take it to heart and when you're listening to this podcast. So yeah, Alec, over to you. Awesome. Um, so we're going to, I'm just going to open up with a definition of hazing um, based on hazingprevention.org. Hazing is any action taken or any situation created intentionally that causes embarrassment, harassment, or ridicule and risks emotional and or physical harm to members of a group or team, whether new or not, regardless of the p- person's willingness to participate. Um, so our policy covers a lot of this and is, I think, the general mindset that we come into hazing with um, when we're looking at different situations. In our board of director statement of policy, um, it says that it shall be the responsibility of all members of Alpha Kappa Psi fraternity to determine college, university, or other legal jurisdiction policy regarding hazing, mental, or physical, and to comply totally with such policies. So I don't want to go too far into the policy um, part of hazing, but we do have that. That's on page 43 if you want to look at a little bit more in depth on those guidelines for the fraternity itself. But we, I mean, it mentions in the definition that hazing is something that doesn't just happen in Greek orgs, but we do see that um, hazing is more closely um, associated with a lot of Greek organizations. So going into that, a little bit of history of hazing. Um, Hazing was first noted by Plato in 387 BC about practical practical jokes played by unruly young men that injured and hazed young citizens who got in the way. So even back then, hazing's been around for a while. Um, In fraternities, the first recorded case um, that was directly associated with a Greek organization was in 1873 when a young college freshman um, was unfortunately um, killed after um, participating in an activity by a um, fraternity on campus. Um, he, they went out for a night walk. Um, the pledges were blindfolded and unfortunately um, stepped the wrong way and fell down a gorge in New York. So um, that was just the first recorded case. Unfortunately, um, there have been fatalities since um, each year. And just keeping in mind that that's the worst case scenario, but there is hazing from that to um, just day-to-day things that chapters are not always um, cognizant of. So, and I think it's crazy. You know, thanks for giving that history yeah, and the definition. Um, I think it's it's so interesting to see that even back in like Plato's time that mm-hmm. hazing was a behavior, even though they didn't call it hazing, I, they called it something else back then, but that it's been behavior that's persisted through our culture since, you know, uh, Plato, um, and it's only been more closely associated with fraternities since, uh, what was that, 1873? Right. So... Um, I mean, I know when you hear about hazing, you hear a lot about, you know, Greeks and, and, mm-hmm. and social Greeks in particular. But like you said, it's not it's not a unique problem to us. It's, uh, you know, professional sports. You see things on Twitter where like 
people are denouncing the behavior of professional athletes because they're hazing their rookies. You also see it at the high school level. You see it in sports. Uh, you see it in, in clubs, uh, in different organizations. So it's, it's not a unique problem to us. It's just uh, we, we, get a lot, we, we hear about it a lot more from, from Greek organizations. Totally. It's the media attention is a lot on Greek organizations in that way because it's so closely associated. But, I mean, from personal experience, um, it could be as little as, like, I was on softball in high school, but the younger members were always the ones that had to set up the equipment. It was never the older members, and we were always pushed to do that. So, and you get into the culture where you don't even notice that it's hazing. And really, Mm -hmm. I didn't even notice that that was hazing until I got into more of the policies and what actually happens. It's treating a group of people that are in the same group as others, I would say, is part of that, is seeing them as different. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think recognition, something we're going to talk about later, is a big component to combating hazing because, like you said, sometimes we don't even realize that what is happening is is, is hazing. Uh, we don't realize that we're a victim of that until we start doing a little bit more research or we hear about it for the first time and we we then can recognize, like, uh, yo, the, oh, because the younger members are setting up the equipment and the older members just to get to sit around and heckle us like no no so um you know that that makes me think of like reasons for hazing like and I say reasons with quotations around it because like there's no valid reason to haze in my eyes in my humble opinion um it's just an excuse or it's or it's masking something deeper so um what are some of the common excuses or or reasons in quotations that you've heard for hazing? Sure. Um, I mean, the, one of the most common ones is a, we had to do this when I was, um, let's say a pledge or a new member. Um, so they should have to do the same thing. They should Mm -hmm. have to go through the same experience. Um, and they also use it for positive experiences too. I've heard students also use like, we had this really great presentation that we went through um, mm-hmm. that we had to do during our new member program. Um, so the pledges are also going to do that and they get that. But they all. But I've also seen students equate a positive activity with a, so we have a activity that the pledges have to go through. It's team building as the chapter sees it. But really, it puts the pledges in a really uncomfortable point. And sometimes chapters even acknowledge that it is supposed to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And they go from there in seeing that it's, for them, they see it as a positive experience, that it makes them uncomfortable, it gets them out of their box. But really, what effect is it having on an individual new person? Sure. And, you know, we're a business fraternity, right? Like, we pride ourselves on being the pro premier developer of principal business leaders. So when you say those things, it makes me think of like business and being in the world of business and how business is changing so quickly. So the phrase of, well, they did it this way, so, or we did it this way, so they should have to do it. When I think about it in business, like that's super irrelevant because if we did things the way that we always did, we wouldn't have airplanes. We wouldn't have internet communications. We wouldn't have email. We wouldn't have Instagram. Like if we did things the way we always did them, and we did them because our predecessors did them that way, we would never evolve in, into what we are today. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you made that point because I think, you know, for our, our student members, it's really important to think about it 
more so in a bigger context, you know, like AKSI, we get in our little bubbles and our chapters and we don't sometimes think of the ramifications of what this means in a professional setting. Definitely. I mean, I think that we also see an issue where we sort of get a chapters are either on a very, very socially oriented or very business oriented and always are trying to find the balance between those two. Um, And something like this can help find it is equating things to business um, helps in a type of social situation. Like would this be okay in a business situation? Really isn't. It's really not in most of those cases. That would never happen. So um, I think that could help as chapters sort of work through things. Another big one that we see is if the pledges do this common experience, it will bring them together. Uh Um, Yeah, it's it's a big one that we see a lot. Um, It's I understand a common experience can bond a group together, but what kind of common experience is that? Is it if it's a, we're, they are so uncomfortable that they're sort of uncomfortable together and, or that they are maybe even angry at the chapter. Is that really something that you want to be permitting yeah. for a new group of younger members? And it doesn't even have to be pledges, I think. We just have to keep making this point. It doesn't have to be pledges. It could be brand new members to your chapter who just got in because I've seen situations like that, mm-hmm. that those members are also treated differently than um, the members who have been in for a couple semesters. Definitely. I think that that common experience, I hear that a lot when we talk about um, military, that, you know, the military can haze, but, um, you know, they can do it because they're, you know, defending our country or going into battle and they require a different set of skills. And by no means am I an expert on any of this, but, um, you know, I think when they talk about that brotherhood, I think is, you know, one of our core values. And I think that's what they're speaking to is building a, a brotherhood of, of people. Um, I think it's, it's not that, yes, they are bonded. They go through a quote unquote traumatic experience, something that challenges them and makes them uncomfortable and forces them to grow. Uh, but is that really what's driving that bond, that brotherhood? Or is it it's something else, you know, like you think of military hazing. Um, I mean, look at the effects, po- you know, once you come back from, from your service and, you know, you could experience things like PTSD. And is that really something you want associated with, with your like new member program? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think so. <laughs> no. no, and it's definitely, I was thinking about this on the way driving here this morning is, is that same argument, but you know, you are not going to be perfect at all of the core values or even the skills that we ask our members to be perfect at, especially if you are a new member. Mm -hmm. So brotherhood is always a huge thing that's brought up with new members that they have to be accepted into the brotherhood, that they have to um, be in sort of the culture, like be Mm -hmm. um, fit into that culture. But brotherhood, I think, is one of the hardest things to really gain within a five to eight week, nine week period of being a new member, like you have to have a lot of trust Mm -hmm. um, to build that brotherhood. And so you're just meeting some of these people. So I wouldn't even expect those new members to really have a full understanding of what it means to be in the brotherhood until they're in the chapter. And it's the chapter's responsibility to show more of the brotherhood than those new members showing it. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. It's so funny that you <laughs> mentioned that. Haha. Ha. Because you mentioned brotherhood and trust. And I'm going to I'm going to quickly fangirl about Dr. Lori Hart and she is 
um, for me, she's a risk management superhero, but she's worked with fraternity and sorority life and organizations for uh, 30 years. And she did a, a 2018 Greek talks at Georgia Tech. And I, I watched this on YouTube. I highly recommend you check it out. Um, I fangirled so hard when I watched it, but it's she talks about Greek life in, in our pillars. And one of the pillars is brotherhood or sisterhood. You know, we pride ourselves during recruitment on being a strong brotherhood or a strong sisterhood. And rah, rah, you should join us because we aren't friendships. We are a brotherhood. We are, we are friendships squared. We are so much more than just being friends. We are brothers. And being brothers means that you have a sense of community. Like you, you come into an organization, all of a sudden you're with a group of like-minded individuals where you feel a sense of community and belonging on your campuses. And this, she directly related it to Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you've ever taken a psych class, if you've taken like Psych 101 or, or Intro to Psych, you may have heard about this famous hierarchy of needs. Um, and it, Maslow talked about it. He published it in a theory of human motivation, psych, psycho, psychological review in 1943. And it's a five stage model that's divided based on deficiency needs and growth needs. And for those of you unfamiliar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's a, it's a pyramid broken into five sections. The bottom four sections are the deficiency needs and the top one section is the growth needs. And essentially what he says is that you have to be able to satisfy the needs from the bottom in order to get to the needs at the top. Uh, So the bottom need is a physiological need. So air, water, food, shelter, basically your basic needs to live. And then it moves up to your safety needs, which are trust, um, security, safety. Uh, Then you go into love and belonging, which is community and esteem and self-actualization. So, it's not unidirectional, and, you know, they talked about it a lot more since he originally published it as far as, you know, do you really have to fill one to 100% in order to get to the next one in order to achieve self-actualization? But I found it fascinating in the realm of Greek life because we pride ourselves on brotherhood and belonging and community, but before we can achieve that, we have to be able to maintain an environment of safety and, like you said, trust. And if we don't have trust, how can we have brotherhood? So when you look at, you know, orientation processes or new member processes, and they focus on hazing, you're compromising that need for safety. How can I possibly trust someone? And and you mentioned it earlier, you could possibly be angry at the chapter later on. How could you possibly trust someone who demeans you, who forces you into acts of servitude, how are you possibly going to trust someone to really be able to fully embrace that brotherhood later on in your experience? You're not. I'm going to argue that you can't. You can't. I don't care what common bond, what what challenging growth experience that you had with your pledge class that makes you feel, you might feel more loyal to your pledge class than you do to your own brotherhood. So I just think it's food for thought. And I think it's really interesting you mentioned the pledge class because I was just about to bring that up that a lot of times when I'm talking to chapters, um, I used to be a CERC too, um, it was always a, our pledge classes were more bonded, so it caused clicks in our chapter. Sure. How do we fix that? And I always had an, a bigger issue trying to solve those clicks mm-hmm. than trying to solve clicks of like common interest and stuff because they did have that common experience, and unfortunately, they, didn't, they bonded to each other, which is good, 
but they all they didn't bond to the chapter. There was which no caused, loyalty exactly yeah, to the chapter. There it was loyalty to the pledge class. So that also brings in other chapter issues where one pledge class group wants to do things differently from the chapter sees or tries to write off what um, good the chapter is doing mm-hmm. because it just automatically something's wrong so everything has to be wrong yeah and so it's part of that no I, and I just think it you know we, you you highlighted that chapters mentioned the good that they're doing and I work with the judiciary committee and we adjudicate cases of you know discipline and and a lot of the times when I talk to our students, they say, well, we didn't intend to haze them. That wasn't our intention. Have you had any experiences where, you know, students are talking about what they did or did not intend to do, but then you have a, a case where it's the complete opposite of, uh, according to the, the person who's reporting the incident? I mean, I've always seen some of that when we do have um, even just chapters calling up and asking if something was hazing mm-hmm. is always a conversation. There's never a yes or no that that's hazing, that's not hazing, unless it's really bad and then the chapter should be able to automatically see that that was not okay. Um, yeah, there's Liz and I have brought up the, it's impact equals perception. Percep- that perception is reality. So if maybe you don't see a certain action as hazing, an individual in your chapter may see it as hazing. So their perception is what is really happening um, because everybody's view is different, but you have to make sure that you're taking into account when you're thinking about these things that this may be seen as something that maybe not may not be okay. And it may be something that you don't know about if um, you mentioned yesterday and we were talking about this that um, you may see a pledge who is falling asleep in meetings, is coming late to meetings, and you may just automatically assume that that pledge is lazy or is not good at time management um, and give them a pledge action plan. Well, if you stepped a little bit further and had a conversation with them, they may tell you that they have to take care of their mom after they go home from school and they really don't get that much sleep. And when the time that they do have, they have to spend on their homework. Mm-hmm. And always school is more important than the outside activities like the fraternity, but you took the extra step to ask them what was wrong Mm -hmm. gives you sort of that background so that you can say, okay, I understand what's going on. You don't need a pledge action plan. Let's work with you. Yeah. It's a level of trust that that the chapter has to have in the people that they've recruited to join their membership. And I'm a strong contender that you shouldn't offer a bid to someone that you wouldn't be comfortable with being your brother because... You know, the the point of our, our, our pledge program and the point of any orientation program is not to identify the flaws that are within our potential members, but it's to, to identify their opportunities. Where can they fit in within our organization and, and how can we better support them to be better leaders in the future? You know, and, and the, the, the intention, going back to what you said, the intention versus the impact that we're actually having our students, that goes back, if we're relating it back to a professional setting, it goes back to HR. So 
you know, there's, there's, you know, like sexual harassment presentations, they talk about what is our impact versus what is the perception or what our intent versus what is the, the impact and the perception that's having, because yes, perception is reality. And that the impact and the perception is something that we cannot control. So I can have the best of intentions every day of the week when I decide to do something, but the impact that it has on others may not meet what my intention was. And that's, like I said, something I cannot control. So you have, and you never know what anyone's going through. You never know what's, what, what could set someone off if you, if you make an offhand comment or if you, you know, if you make them do agility exercises or kinesthetics and stuff. I mean, that's an extreme case, but you don't know, you know, if they have a heart condition or, or if they have, you know, something that would keep them from being able to do that. And, and, and maybe your intention was to be funny, but the impact is not funny. No, exactly. And I think chapters have are don't want to be just tiptoeing around um, different situations. So I think the best course to take is always a setting up a culture or an environment that the either a new member or just um, existing members feel that they can have conversations about, you know what, that that joke made me feel really uncomfortable. Um, can we talk about why it made me feel uncomfortable or can we just keep off that subject? Um, but if people aren't willing to speak up about it, it's just going to keep rolling on top of each other um, and it will blow up at some point um, and become a bigger issue. So really the chapter setting it up as an environment that you can talk about the issues that we're having and we'll address those. Um, and the trust, going back to trust, that the members have to have in the chapter actually making the changes that they need to um, to do that, I think is a big thing. Yeah, most definitely. And I think that in order to have those conversations, uh, there has to be a level of recognition. Uh, so, you know, back earlier in our conversation when we, we said sometimes you don't even realize that you're, you're being hazed because of lack of awareness, like you don't know the policies or you don't even know what would be considered hazing. So there's a, a good reason why you should understand what hazing is and what it looks like and then some good ways to intervene in it that, you know, it's not all confrontational. It doesn't all have to be bad. Um, it doesn't always have to put you in a, a place that you're compromising your safety, but, but you could uh, improve the safety of someone else right. and their well-being by doing so. So hazingprevention.org has a list of questions that if you have to ask, is this hazing, they have a list of questions that you could go through. And I won't read them today, but I would encourage you to go to hazingprevention.org. If you, if there's an activity or if there's a chapter tradition that you have, um, that you're, you, you start to question like, hmm, really, what is the purpose of this? What does it serve? And how does it meet the objectives of building brotherhood or developing you know, principal business leader, and I, I strongly encourage you to measure whatever that is against these questions. Um, I think I think that's a good way to start with recognition. You mentioned traditions, and we'll talk about this on another podcast too. Yep. Um, but I just wanted to plug that first, and also a tradition is something that can always be fixed or changed. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to stay the yeah. same every single time and it should always be a positive experience. So a little plug for that. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I'll, I'll plug on that plug um, because <laughs> traditions are just habits and habits are behaviors. And so if you can change your behavior, you can change your habit, you can change your tradition. So I'm excited to talk about that on a later podcast. Yeah. So I encourage you all to listen in. Um, and when we talk about 
uh, behaviors and habits and uh, traditions, we're starting to get, again, back into the psychology of hazing and reasons for hazing, reasons with quotations, and and why uh, member organizations may feel that it's appropriate to haze their members. So something that I have always been fascinated about with psychology um, is the human brain and how we make decisions. I'm really fascinated by it. And so I, at one point, learned that the brain isn't fully developed until mid to late 20s, at least 25 years old. So is it not absolutely insane, I'll say, that we have 18 to 22-year-old students who are making really big decisions in their lives, but their prefrontal cortex not developed. And prefrontal cortex makes decisions. So we're having 18 to 20-year-old, 22-year-olds who have gone off to college and it may be the first time that they're away from their parents and they're making some really big life decisions. And unfortunately, some of those decisions are impulsive and they're more risky than someone who, say, is 27 years old, who is not influenced as much by peer pressure, uh, who's more resistant to it. They, they're having to be put into those situations. So um, continuing off of this psychology trend, because I'm just really into it. Um, Talking to a sociology major, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm in good company. Um, you know, when we talk about recognition of hazing, I think a lot of bystander behavior. Um, I think of people standing around and wanting to intervene, but they, they, they don't or they can't or they're paralyzed and they can't intervene. Uh, and that brings up the 1964 Kitty Genevieve case, uh, the murder from New York City, where this woman, I know that's took a violent turn, um, this woman was essentially being murdered and a bunch of people were around, but there was a diffusion of responsibility. And that is that people were less likely to intervene because there were other witnesses there that they thought that would do so. So if you've ever been, uh, you know, on an interstate and you've seen a car accident and maybe you've witnessed a car accident or, or something tragic has occurred, have you ever thought, I'm going to call 911. And then your next thought was, well, someone's probably already done it. I don't want to call 911 again. And that is the diffusion of responsibility because other people, you assume other people are going to make that phone call. But honestly, it's just best if you go ahead and make that phone call because 911 would rather receive 12 phone calls to make sure that it gets addressed than no phone calls at all. So on, I just equated it with something in my head. On a less tragic note, you could also <laughs> see it every day in class when you're like, I really have a question, but somebody else will ask that question. Yeah. That's that's just... a good tie-in. Something very relatable. <laughs> very good. <laughs> it's very nice. Um, it, you know, and, and to continue on this bystander behavior and to think that someone else is going to either ask the question or to, to call 911, I want to bring up the concept of pluralistic ignorance. Um, and, it, you know, again, I preface that I'm, I'm not an expert, but I've read a lot. Uh, you know, and, and I, I've attended conferences that talk about this information. We've attended conferences yeah. <laughs> where we've learned this. And pluralistic ignorance is when people erroneously infer that they feel differently from their peers, even though they're behaving simil- similarly. So an example of this is, and, you know, we'll relate to hazing because, we're you know, National Hazing Prevention, we were talking about it. You know, say you're in a group of members and um, people are in a lineup and people are berating the people that are standing in front of them for not doing well enough on a quiz or for not meeting expectations or, or what have you. Uh, and there's probably people that are standing on the other side of the room, not being berated, most likely the members. And they're standing there probably questioning like, I don't think this is right. 
this doesn't feel right. This is hazing. This is inappropriate behavior. But they're afraid to speak up because they believe that other people think it's okay. So the pluralistic inference is they, they, they believe that other people are okay with it, but it's likely that there are multiple people, if not all of the other people standing with them, they really don't believe in this behavior. Um, and, and, and that's where the recognizing that maybe I'm not the only one that feels this way is a, is a tactic for, for uh, addressing and intervening and hazing. Because if one person, if you've seen it, it's a domino effect. Mm-hmm. If one person speaks up, another person is likely to be like, yeah, man, I just really don't think that this is okay. And then as one person, it's like a domino effect. As one person says something, the dominoes start to fall because other people will feel comfortable voicing their opinion if they know that they're not alone. And I think that goes back to trust again, is that you have to have that culture in the chapter that you're going to make a change when you have people who bring up an issue Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, all of this ties into the bystander behavior and, you know, not diffusing the responsibility of someone else. So, you know, if you're listening, I just encourage you, if you see something, you know, I know you hear it when you're in the airport all the time, but if you see something, truly say something. And if you don't feel comfortable saying it in that setting, talk to your faculty advisor, talk to your chapter advisor, talk to me. Like, we will work through the situation. It's just the first step is being able to recognize it, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, I I recognize it's a challenge. You have 18 to 22 year olds, their prefrontal (laughs) cortex is not developed. So they're making irrational decisions. And not only that, there's peer pressure and groupthink. Totally. And for those who who don't, aren't familiar with the term groupthink, it's when a group of well-intentioned people, and that's the thing, they're well-intentioned. They make irrational or non-optimal decisions that are spurred by the urge to confirm or the discouragement of dissent. So they're always well-intentioned, but when they get in a group, that decision-making is compromised and they don't say something. And you hear it, unfortunately, with the tragedies that have occurred. You hear parents saying, well, my child would have never done that. We raised them better than that. But it's it's an amazing thing what happens when you mix a desire for community with groupthink and pluralistic ignorance. And unfortunately it all comes together and it can result in, in a, in a unfortunate tragedy that, you know, is, it catches the media in 0.5 seconds. Totally. And I think we, I know you and I, cause we've talked about it and we deal with those situations too, where we see a situation brought up that could be hazing or alcohol or one of the other um, violations of our policy and it's separating out between a couple people doing it and it becoming a chapter issue. And where it becomes more worse, where it becomes worse is when it becomes the chapter issue, when it becomes a full chapter group think that people are not willing to accept that this is an issue or that um, a couple people may be spurring it, but there is not, there isn't enough people to say that this is wrong or that want to make the change. Because I think we try to take it from a standpoint of if this is individuals doing it, then those individuals should be the ones held responsible. If it's a chapter issue, then it does need to become a bigger chapter, whether it's an investigation or an inquiry. Like we always try to come at it from what's the least uh, impactful to the chapter. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to whip back into psychology, yeah, but um, the the individuals, like you said, it's it's easier to address an individual who may be like a rogue individual um, or a small group of individuals who are who are conducting 
um, hazing activities, which are just behaviors that are inconsistent with our values. So that is one thing that we can address. Like I can talk to three people and we can talk about why they felt this was an appropriate behavior. And we can talk about why it's not an appropriate behavior. Rehabilitation. That's what we're going for. But when it becomes a chapter issue and it spreads and it becomes like this chapter wide, like infectious culture, it's harder to change the habits and the behaviors of a group, of a chapter of 30, 40, 120 people than it is to change one person or the the thought process of one person. So that's why it's so important that when we start to see things that are inconsistent with what we truly believe in and what we stand for that we say something to address it then because it only takes a couple semesters for something to become a quote-unquote tradition that becomes a chapter-wide thing that when we have to deal with it now we're dealing with a chapter and the ramifications for dealing with a chapter is you know at the extreme level it's it's uh, revoking the charter you know but when it's an individual it's corrective action or at the extreme expulsion. But we never want to get to that point. You know, I'm here to help. I'm not here, you know, if, if we punished every single thing, you know, person that, that came up and reported an incident or, or where an incident occurred, we would literally have no chapters and, and I would have no job. And, and that's not what I'm here for because I have a mortgage. I'm not here to work <laughs> myself out of a job. But what I am here to do is to make sure that while we're living the values of Alpha Kappa Psi, truly, truly, truly living the values of Alpha Kappa Psi, and we keep in mind our ritual and the promises that we took during our ritual, that we are keeping in mind the health and safety of our members, and we are working to earn their trust every day, not that we are working to earn or deserve this brotherhood, because if we trust each other, we have that community. If we trust each other, brotherhood will come from it. So really, brotherhood should be one of the last things that a member develops or is continually developing. Is, it's, yeah, it's a is building byproduct. Upon it. Right. Yeah, it's a byproduct of all the other positive things that you are doing. It's not an expectation to have up front. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I think that was a great conversation. Um, I want to talk a little bit about intervening in hazing uh, because now that we're able to recognize what we're doing or what we, we may be doing, I want us to be able to uh, intervene in it. So, first of all, number one, if you think that someone is in trouble, their, their health and well-being is being compromised, their safety is compromised, please, 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 comma, please, period, always call 911, always. It is much easier to deal with the consequences from calling 911 than to deal with the consequences of not calling 911. I'm, I'm, I'm serious when I say this. And I also highly encourage you, look up your state laws on hazing. They're becoming stricter, but there's also some amnesty policies that are coming out. And, and I highly encourage you to familiarize yourself with that because that could be the difference of someone needing to go to the hospital and, you know, have a bandage for a cut to, to unfortunately you know, attending a member's funeral. So uh, second of all, you know, keeping in mind all the things we talk about, be cognizant of your role within hazing. And everyone has a role, uh, whether you're you're physically doing it or you're just not – not saying anything about it. It's, it's just as bad to not do anything as it is to do something. So be cognizant, recognize your limitations, recognize that you may be making irrational decisions. I'm like, I was, I like went into mob mode when I joined a <laughs> sorority or a fraternity. Um, and, and, you know, my, my 
for my senior superlative was mama bear because I was super aware of all of these things. So I highly recommend that, you know, ignorance, ignorance is bliss doesn't work in this situation. You need to be aware and you need to, to, to suit yourself up for this. So, um, another thing that I find fascinating and I, I only read this book recently, but it is called the gift of fear and it's by Gavin DeBecker 10 for 10 recommend, (laughs) would read it again, will read it again. But one of the things that stuck out most to me is that he says we need to get more comfortable with realizing that no is a complete sentence and it is not an opportunity for negotiation. No, period. So if someone says, let's do this, recognize that you say no and period. And that's that. No, shut it down. Don't be quiet. Shut it down. No is a complete sentence. Keep that in mind for all aspects of your life. Whether it's, you know, someone wants to go on a date with you and you say no, period. It's not negotiation. It's not, well, you know, rather than a date, do you want to go for coffee? No, period. Still, I don't want to, <laughs> no. And that, that, that's not only relevant to pledges, but that's also relevant to the brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, like we said, pledges may not realize that they're being haste. And it is our responsibility as members and as, as the safekeepers of our charters and our, and our articles of incorporation that, you know, we yeah. have a responsibility. No, period. No, 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 period. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there's non-confrontational ways. I'm not a super confrontational person. So I understand that saying no might be a very confrontational way to intervene in hazing. But there are other ways to do it. We had a friend the other day where, mm-hmm. you know, this wasn't a hazing situation, but it was a, an example of bystander intervention and diffusion of responsibility. And he went to a coffee shop. He saw that a female felt uncomfortable in her situation. Someone was like breathing down her neck and like trying to talk to her and she was trying to mind her own business. And he was appalled. He was absolutely appalled that no one was saying anything. And so he was an upstander, I would say. He wasn't mm-hmm. a bystander. And he intervened. And he non-confrontationally said, hey, do you want to come sit at my table with me while you wait for your friend or, or whatever? And it diffused that situation. She felt comfortable and safe. It didn't escalate. And it was non-confrontational. So I promise you there are ways to address or intervene in a non-confrontational way. Uh, you know, and, and one of those is utilizing your resources of your faculty advisor. If you don't feel comfortable intervening, talk to your faculty advisor, talk to your chapter advisor, talk to a resource coordinator, talk to the Heritage Center. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we are not afraid to be that intervention. You know, we don't have to maintain a, a right. you know, a, a persona within your chapter. So we have no problem intervening. Let us know. Talk to us. And it is not an issue for the chapter to decide if that information should be shared with somebody outside the chapter. If that person feels that that information should be shared with someone outside the chapter, that is not a time for the chapter to say, well, you shouldn't have shared that information. Yeah. Because we get some of that, too, where a member is uncomfortable, doesn't want to give their name to us, but wants to tell us about the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're afraid of blowback from the chapter. Um, and unfortunately, that is a situation that some people come into. And again, it's the chapter's responsibility to set up a environment that they wouldn't need to feel like they have to go outside. But if they do, they won't be um, penalized or hurt for mm-hmm. it. So I just wanted to plug that in, too. Yeah, it's everyone's responsibility. And I know that's probably an obnoxious bystander <laughs> intervention thing that you've heard 50 Ways to Sunday. But... 
it is everyone's responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. It is every chapter officer's responsibility. But not only that, even if you are the newest of new members and you haven't joined a committee and you haven't become an officer yet, it is still your responsibility. So keep that in mind. Um, yeah. And then the last point is just question everything. Remember, like, have you ever met a two or three year old and they literally just will not stop asking why, <laughs> why? Why? Why are we doing this? Why? Why does mommy do this? Why does daddy do this? Why are we going here? Why? No, stop. Become your three-year-old self again and question everything. Why do we do this? What purpose does this serve? Why? Why? I guarantee you, once you ask why six times and you drill down to the root cause of why you're doing it, it's going to not be consistent with our values. So, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, anything else? Um, No, I think... We pretty much wrapped up everything. I just had an interesting um, sort of tidbit from, I was told Liz earlier, I was listening to a podcast on Maslow's because I knew sociology a little bit because that was my degree, but um, I wanted to sort of regain some of the things and Liz kept talking about it all day yesterday. So um, I read, Sorry. That's, you're all good. I read a, I uh, watched a podcast about it today actually on YouTube um, and it was really interesting because they were saying when Maslow came out with the theory, um, he was really disappointed in companies because companies were only fulfilling the first two levels mm. of the hierarchy and they weren't accounting for the rest of it when self-actualization, which is the last step and yeah. where you get to know yourself, um, would actually probably spur success for a company. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if he looked back, because he wrote that in the 40s, yep. Um, if you looked back now, he could see that companies are taking steps to take care of some of the other steps in his hierarchy of needs of if it's creating committees within uh, like a bowling league, something like that, that causes more of a community within the company mm-hmm. or um, health initiatives for their employees. Um, I think you would look back fondly on that. I think if we've alluded to a couple times of the business sphere and how closely we're associated with it, Mm -hmm. that if you want an example, follow the example of some of those companies. Are you actually taking care of the well-being of your members? And just equate that in. I I got (laughs) it. There we go. Um, I got a big smile from Liz on that one, but it was, I think that's a really interesting point that the podcast um, brought up of, is there something that we can we see things in the business world and we think it's all business, but there's also lifestyle things that we can also learn from the business world. Um, and I think it will even make the transition easier for yeah. our members coming out of a chapter. Cause you're really in a chapter for at most three years. Yeah. Depending on when you join. Yeah. So, um, most of your membership in AKSI is going to be as an alumni. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to make that impact as an alumni? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I appreciate your connection. <laughs> yes. I had a massive smile in that. So, so thank you. Um, I, I think this was a great conversation today. I, I thank you all for joining us. Um, I hope you, you have some key things that you can take away, uh, take back to your chapters and even keep with you, you know, through other organizations or through your professional career. Um, you know, again, it's National Hazing Prevention Week, so we got some stuff that's going to be coming out this week, but National Hazing Prevention Week does not mean that hazing prevention is only contained to one week. So I encourage you, hazing prevention, 365 days a year, 366 on leap years. So <laughs> keep that in mind. Sorry, I have one more thing. Um, I think we talk a lot about hazing, and it gets sort of um, negative connotation mm-hmm. to 
and we're not trying to lecture you on this. And I think Liz and I's conversation has been pretty constructive of this is overall what it is. Uh, we're all flawed individuals. Nothing is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, we just hope that you have the same expectations for your members that we do of you have to at least try to do your best here and to try to do what's best for the chapter and mm-hmm. what's best for the person who feels that they may be in an uncomfortable situation. Um, I had another, I like looking at the self-help like podcasts and <laughs> stuff. Um, you're, you are more than the best thing you will do and you are more than the worst thing that you will do. So you can always be more than, and you, if you make a mistake, it's okay. We understand those mistakes. It's recognizing it yep. and doing better in the future. Wow. So, yeah, that's awesome. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah, and Alec highlighted a good point. Uh, and before we go into our closing remarks, I do want to say that, um, you know, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, hazing in the, in the negative respect, but she did highlight a very important point, which is that we make mistakes and that we're all human and no one's perfect. So uh, if you're listening to this, I want you to remember that we're all on the same team. I'm on your team. I'm here to do what's best for the fraternity and its individual members. I'm not out here doing what's best for me because I'd probably be doing yoga and working out uh, <laughs> and probably be eating a salad rather than pizza. But I'm here to do what's best for the fraternity uh, and, you know, always remember that we're on your team. So, you know, give us a call. Like, I know you, you may have a, 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 a strong loyalty to your chapter, and, and so you should. Uh, but remember that chapter is a part of a bigger fraternity, and that bigger fraternity wants to see you be successful. You know, I want to be your friend, and I, I want to see you go off and do great things. So, you know, when you do, when you do think that something is inconsistent, know that, you know, we're here to help you be successful and work through those problems so that you can be a better principal business leader out, out of the other side of it. So um, I think that's it for us. Uh, if you have any questions for either one of us, whether it's operations, you know, you can contact your resource coordinator or Alec, uh, alec at akpsi.org. And if you have any risk questions or prevention education needs or you know you just want a new friend you can (laughs) always contact me i'm at liz liz at akpsi.org also check out again our resources at akpsi.org forward slash forward slash y'all nhpw for national hazing prevention week again thanks for joining us we've enjoyed having you today alec thank you you've been awesome and uh we look forward to talking to you soon Thank you, Liz. Um, And your CERCs will be back with the next podcast. Woo!